When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Redmond, good morning. Good morning, Patrick. Yeah, mate, Uzi. Again, nearly another ton, falling short. 91, I was flat. I was flat. He's letting us down, isn't he? I just wanted a ton. How good is it? Comes in, for those unaware, last We gaffed him in a good way. we We gave him a good gaff because everyone had written him off. You and I both want him man, the team. we'd want him in all, <laughs> from the very get-go. And uh, another 91 in, in phenomenal form. Now, Redmond, Still not a ton. Breaking news <laughs> this week, Enchanted Charters in New Zealand, mm. an extremely experienced crew. The emergency beacon was set off. This boat was obviously capsized. It's been a, a horror week on uh, the ocean safety front. A fifth body was recovered. There were 10, 10 crew. Now, it's been reported that the vessel was hit by a rogue wave. The conditions, horrific. And some of the reporting and some of the um, the visuals coming out of the emergency helicopter rescue, astonishing to see. Like, you've spent a huge amount of time as a, as a decky on a charter operator growing up in big boats. Like, this thing's 17 metres long. It's not one that you would usually associate with mm. this sort of incident. It's and then the skipper, twenty plus years experience. I think this is a massive reminder, huge wake up call for just, everyone. Yeah, just on we are not invincible on the water. Um, no matter what boat we are on, like it, it, like you said, it's seventeen meters. Pat, I fish out of the little six meter boat. Some of the oceans I go in, I'm tipping it's not as bad as what he's just experienced. But I, sometimes we push our luck a little bit too much, and yep. things like these might make you think twice. I know in my experience with the Heads happening oh, a couple, say, a year and a half ago, for instance, for, with me. That scared me going through the heads. Yeah, and you know absolutely. what the crap thing was? Like, you cop stuff on social media, and as good as social media is for my businesses and for, for sharing things with family and friends, it's also a horrible place, too. You can cop so much criticism. And after I had the incident in the heads, oh, no one knew I had it. I actually put it out there to because people were crossing. As a learning as experience. A, that's why so, I wrote it out there. Yep. Yeah, that's the only reason I wrote it and put it out there. And I copped a bit of criticism. People saying, oh, he knows what he's doing, thinks he knows what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. Well, for those unaware, Aaron was hit essentially in a really similar scenario by a rogue wave that yeah. just jacked up in front of the boat. Yeah. Nearly pushing, capsized the pushing boat. Pushing my luck a little bit too. I was yeah. pushing my luck a bit. I was, and I was honest about it. I probably st- I stuffed up. Didn't expect that to happen where I was. It was a big wave coming in a spot where I didn't think it was going to happen. And I copped a flogging and it did nearly went... Ass overhead, literally. So it wasn't a good place to be. And just people getting stuck into people saying, oh, how crap's this? But this guy here, 
one of the most experienced people on the waters. 17 metres long. Worldwide. A liver, it's a liverboard boat. It was snapped in half by mm. this wave. Like this the is, bridge was broken off. Like It's astonishing to see and incredibly sad. There's it no, actually puts shivers down your back talking about it. Like to, yep. When you're someone that spends the amount of time on the water I do and how much passion and whatnot you have for it, Pat, like it... You've got a big boat, and your boat isn't even close to big. To the, it's a tender to this thing, yep. like it's and so an just, extra ten meters. <laughs> so just you just got to be a bit. Everyone's just got to take take this in a little bit. Um, as bad as it is, and we didn't want this to happen at all. You just got to take it as a as a I guess a reminder. A learning experience. Yeah. yeah, just remember where you are. The ocean's no matter what always stronger than us. Even on a calm day, it can do what it wants to do. It can change so quickly and destroy our lives in seconds. So. Let's play with a little bit extra care when we are out in the water, Pat. Stark reminder, very thoughts and, and certainly prayers from all the fishing community with those... Around the world. Ten, ten affected yep. you know, people and families, but certainly the, the five fatalities. It's an absolute tragedy. I just want to throw an importance out there too, Pat. One thing they were managed to do was set off their EPIRB, their emergency beacon. So they managed to... I'm tipping the skipper of the deck, he's done that. They would have been... But trained. you can't... As it, you, you just can't have that stuff hidden away. No, you can't. Like, and it's got to be... In game. It's got to be in the game. It's got to be ready to go. You can grab it. Yeah, literally mine's at my legs. That way. Yeah. Mine's yep. literally at my legs of this yep. boat, and everyone knows that it's in the side part, just at my leg. I think yours is in a similar spot, and yours. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's at our legs. It's ready to go. But just, it's the importance, that EPIRB there. So, as sad as it is with the other fatalities, Pat, on a positive note, could have been far. It worse could have been far worse without if, that. If that hadn't gone off and they're floating out there in that seas, tipping, it's not not long until they're they're gone either. So, I, I, emergency helicopter, and you got to see that footage. How raw was that footage? Like it was astonishing. Just watching the rescue actually unfold, and it was phenomenal to see. Like it was crazy, but that saved their lives. So, I just want to throw a bit of an importance reminder out there. Everyone goes, "Oh, flares! Oh, crap! They're out of date. Who cares? Eperb! Oh, what do you need that for? You don't and need them until you need them." My brother did the other day. The dad dad didn't have an Eperb. In his boat, and they took it out tuna fish. And I said, "You're an idiot." I said, "Mate, just go like Dad. Happy to get it. It's just it was just out of date. You need to get a new one." And I said, "Just go get it. Like just if you break down or if your engine falls off, and no one's out there, <laughs> you're screwed." Yep. So just a reminder to update your safety gear if you haven't checked it. Today's the day you're going to go check it, or tomorrow. It's a weekend. Do the right thing. The 2022 Riviera 78 motor yacht has been revealed in full, Redmond. This is Riviera's biggest ever build. It's relevant for us because Riviera is an Australian um, company that has really taken on the world in the, the sports motor yacht and the fishing flybridge sector and has dominated it for the past you know, certainly the past two decades, but it's obviously a far older brand than that. Uh, but, you know, from mid-90s, it's all we've really heard, Riviera, mm. as one of the top game boating organisations globally. But this new 78, it's an absolute cracker. They're your favourite boat. It's their biggest <laughs> they've ever made in 42 years, Redmond. And you know what? The way that you're playing footy at the moment, we can snag a little Brownlow this year, Patrick. You might be able to buy me one of these if we can snag a little Brownlow medal. This is a phenomenal boat. This is out of control. But the only the only downfall, you might be able to buy it, but trying to run it at the moment, 10,000 litres of fuel. Yep, so you're, you're looking at about 20, 25 grand to fill. Like, far out. Like, I filled my car up this morning. It cost me, I think, 160 bucks, And I thought that was expensive. That'll be 25 grand. Thanks, mate. Do you want that on check, check, check savings or credit? I'm tipping if you're buying this thing. I don't think fuel's an issue. I nope. don't think fuel cost is an issue. We did try and find that answer. We couldn't quite 
How much do you reckon it's going to go for? We couldn't find it. Exactly. Oh, I reckon you're looking at five plus. I reckon, yeah. I'm, I'm going up towards ever? ten. Eight, eight million. Well, you know what? Given the, the cost of all different, um, you know, manufacturing's going up, steel's going up, fiberglass, all of that, like the supply chain issues, there's no doubt that'll have a huge effect on it. Yeah, well, one thing they've done with this boat is it's sent some boats, those big boats, I don't like the look of them. This thing is actually looks like it's worth eight million dollars. Sometimes, it, it you know, how much is that worth? Like a million dollars? What million dollars for that? Piece of crap. This, yep. this, yep. Thing, this thing looks. It's hit everything. Well, it's a flybridge, but it's a sports cruising. But it's yeah, unbelievable. Now, before we get into your week in fishing, we were keen to have a bit of a chat around navigating uh, the most dangerous bars that Australia's got. Redman, now, you we've were, spent a huge amount of time up and down the eastern seaboard, which is where predominantly. The, the most dangerous bars are. Not as many, I guess, bays and inlets up that way. More Correct. more of your, your rivers and your estuaries that reach that meet with the ocean as such. Uh, We've so, spent time out of Lakes Entrance. We've both yep. fished out of uh, the Noosa Heads, which can get really shallow. But Naruma, we kept coming back to <laughs> Naruma. Well, you and how I, dangerous that can be. You and I both sat down this morning and tried to work, <laughs> tried to Google top five most dangerous bars in Australia. We we're, were doing research. We're trying to research yeah. this, and then we literally couldn't pin five bars. Like you got the tweed that's nasty. Yep. You got Naruma comes to my head as the, the nastiest. Like it just seems like it's always everything on YouTube. If you go watch bar crossings, Naruma always pops up. It's just one of those ones. The tweed you mentioned another. One, I think it was Ballina, Was it Ballina Can be really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Ballina. Yep. Lakes is a prick of a bar at times. Yep. But then you've got such things. I know the heads is a little bit different, but the heads is dangerous. You've got the bow and heads river as yep. such, and when that gets nasty, Nasty, that's nasty. The Noosa for me, having gone through that a few times, one in a small tinny in, in you know fine weather, Noosa. and then yeah, yeah, I went through there in a in a thirty three foot Boston whaler, and we did it at forty two knots in in <laughs> maybe two and a half foot of water. Of of I'm holding on to the side as the skipper just absolutely charged it. Jeez, you've, you've gone gutsy there. He's like, well, unless you hit it with speed, you're going to get caught because of how shallow it can get. Well, that's the that's the thing that we try to teach people uh, throughout Port Phillip Bay as well. Is people get to bar to sandbars, and they but Redmond, you don't want to hit the sandbar part <laughs> at forty two knots. How big was the boat? This was thirty three. You don't foot. want to do it in a thirty three foot boat because no, you're not getting that off the sand real quick. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, the skipper would know what he's doing. But we just want to cover a little bit on how to cross a bar. I think that's yep. probably that's pretty important. Is actually observing and watching the bar in itself on each in particular day. Is wind against tide, your work, yeah, yeah. The number one rule ebb tide, outgoing tide is generally when you don't want to cross a bar at its worst. That's when the ocean is meeting the current or the, the, the ebb tide, the flow out of the river as such. We'll just go with river, so it's pushing up against that incoming swell, yeah, pushing up against it, and that's when it stands and that's when it throws it up. But not only that, pad. What it does, it also holds it up too. So it slows it down and breaks quite hard, but it doesn't move. Yeah, so sometimes it sits there. It sits yeah. there. So sometimes yep. you're trying to time your run and it's actually falling backwards. Like you're like, oh crap, this thing's going back. And that's when you want to be careful with your tides. Which when, you know, it, it can be counterintuitive because you think, oh, I want to be careful here and go a little bit slower. But then you lose all control of your boat yep. if, if you go too slow and then you get picked up with the... The movement of the water. That's a real good point in also coming in. We're going to knock that one on the head too. But I reckon the number one rule we're going to throw out there is if it if it's a bit hairy and you don't like it, don't go. Yeah, it's just not worth it. Like it's just not worth it. I've I've I've, I've younger days. I used to go. I'll be honest. I did. I was an idiot. Now 
I don't know what happened. I'm a bit mature, I think, Patrick. But I start to think twice when I'm You've crossing. Hit 30 this year. I've hit 30. Jesus, it took a while. Uh, you want to avoid turning around. If you are heading out through a bar, turning around is one of the, also one of the most dangerous things you can do. Turning around, getting side onto waves, yep. swamp you. Not only that, once you turn around and your, your backside's open to water too, waves can land and flood you so quickly, you, it's all over as well. Uh, that's a little, little bit for getting out. Uh, when you are pushing out into it, uh, you want to make sure you take the waves on the nose as much as possible. Don't cop them on the sides. Don't give the chance. Give it give it the, the longest period of the, the first, I guess, the, the length of the boat to actually try and flip you. So it's actually got to lift you from nose to engine rather than side to side. Are you changing the tilt and trim on your boat as you go out? Yeah, I'm trying to get... You probably want it down as such if you're approaching waves. You don't want it up because you don't want to throw too hard. But I'll go to what you said before. One thing you want to do is you actually want to accelerate through the through the wave. Yes. So don't just sit stationary and cop it because it'll just throw you everywhere. Yep. Stationary with a bit of moment, like you sit and sort of you sit with a bit of momentum, just slowly going forward, not fast, just a few knots. And then when the wave approaches, you actually accelerate and push your nose up. So you, if you are going to cop a wave on the nose and throw your nose up, because the nose is the furthest part to flip. Where if you're on side on, yeah, it's going to roll straight over and it's the easiest side. Yeah. Uh, when you are coming in, follow a waving. So what I mean by follow a waving, don't like, f- don't follow, uh, don't let it catch you. So sit you don't on the sit, one in front of you. You don't want to sit totally on the crest where you can fall yep. down it. You want to sit just behind it. So you're sitting behind the momentum of yep. the wave. You're literally surfing on the, the opposite yep. side of a surfer. You're yep. sitting on the back of it and keep the momentum up with the wave. You'll find that waves in the ocean aren't always catchable. The ones in the sh- in the shore breaks and whatnot, you'll be, you will be able to catch them. Yep. But be mindful that they can be quick in certain parts of the world. They can be very, very quick. Do not let a wave sit on you either. So don't, don't like... But just the opposite to what we said. Uh, you're sitting on the wave, which is the correct way. Don't fall off it and let a wave catch you from behind. behind. Yeah. And don't power down the wave. So if that wave's lifting and you think, oh, I can beat it, I'm going to shoot in front of it. If you power down and that breaks, it'll throw you, especially yeah. a bigger wave. It'll destroy you. There's no benefit in a matter to, of seconds. To, to jumping in front. Nah, of it, just cruise it? behind it. It'll yep. flatten out, break, and then do what you have to do. If you have to go over the white water, at least you know you can get your nose up, trim it up a little bit, accelerate, and get over it. Do not cross it. If you're sitting on the back and it's starting to break, don't fall down the front of it. It's just not worth it. So hopefully that does help you and put your mind to it, uh, mind to where you need to be when you are crossing a bar. Your week in fishing, Redmond, the tuna have been fishing quite well throughout yeah. um, th- Victoria and, and Port Phillip Bay where you do majority of your work. You've also caught a few uh, few widen this week. Lee Rain has been catching a few as well. We yeah, love he's catching up with Lee. Um, Fished around Point Leo and got some really nice whiting to, to 47 centimetres. Lakes Entrance, you know what we might do? We might get a guest on from Lakes Entrance, Lakes Entrance Fishing Charters. We had him on a couple of years ago and it was the start of when netting got banned in there, the start of the water. Remember the whiting starting there? Yes. They are yep. now as good a fishery on whiting as you'll get regular bags out, bag out fishing pack. Like it's, we should get a guest on there and ask how it's progressing. That'll be, that'll be great to do in the next couple of weeks. But... Yeah, Port Phillip Bay's fishing sensation, whiting, the garfish. I don't know if you've seen that during the yes, week. Yes, Thumping garfish. And we've got school holidays. I stuffed it's up. A I great thought it was the to... start of April school holidays. It's actually the end of April this year. It's like the 23rd or something. I suppose in a few years we'll be all over this. Yeah. Like, we'll be like, oh, no, school holidays are coming <laughs> well, up. I'm gonna, always, the kids are here. The kids are at home. Is Easter on school holidays? Well, I thought school holidays was always around that April moon, which is the start of April. I, ne- I don't keep – you know, my calendar <laughs> – Works off the rounds. Yeah. So what's this week? Mine it's round works, two. Mine I'm works off it. the moons. 
It was round two. That was that was my week. Next week, oh, it's round three. That's how it works. <laughs> well, anyway, fishing's going good. We've got tuna. We've got garfish. Great fun to do with the kids, but garfish. Uh, we've got a squid. We've got whiting. And more importantly, the snapper at a Port Phillip Bay. That water's back down to that 17, 18 degrees. And we're seeing that autumn snapper fishery, which I've got a question coming up in the social club. So I'll leave a little bit of info to that. But they are going red hot at Mount Martha. And we've got a guest, Corey Green, today from Fisheries too, Pat. Yeah, looking Mako forward to, to chatting about Mako Sharks and how they go about the tagging and the information that they get. Uh, it's extraordinary stuff. All that and more coming your way on Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. And we have had a slight technical issue with uh, Patrick's mic going down. I'm not sure how he broke it. And either is Brooksy, our producer. We are not sure at all how he's broken it, but he's done it. So it will be back for the rest of the show. We're going to do our best to get him back in this segment. If not, he'll be back straight afterwards. And the best part about this is Patrick is not here for the whip around, which is about to come up. And I get to tell you all the info that what he's biting right around your part of the country. And we're going to take it off with New South Wales. Now, the marlin fishing, and, you know, I was up there a few, oh, what, probably a month ago now, and the fishing was going Pretty good. We missed the main bite. We got destroyed with that swelling weather like you wouldn't believe, as you know. We spoke about it. And it pushed that horrible, horrible weather in. But good news is that water's starting to disappear. It's starting to clear out a fair bit. You still have to be careful of logs and whatnot. But Burmese to Tarthra, the bite just continues to keep on going. It is seriously going so, so well. It's been great all week. If you're heading down a little bit, well, sorry, a little bit more north, heading up a little bit more north, the Yellowfin out of Batesman's Bay, Seriously good sign with what's to come. Last year, I swear we reported every single week about the yellowfin tuna just being in their numbers from 20 kilo right up to nearly 100 kilo. Like big, big yellowfin tuna, which is great to see. They're, they're, they've rocked up. So get your lures ready, get your stick baits ready, and have to make sure your tackle is equipped and ready to go because if you don't have the right gear, you will not land those fish. They are big, powerful fish. Heading into South Australia, Marion Bay, the tuna fishery continues to go mad. Real Action Charters, they got amongst fish all week. They didn't disappoint getting their clients bag out trips every single time. So make sure if you're in the area, make sure you give them a call and get yourselves into the tuna action. But they're doing a fair bit of bottom fishing as well. Uh, the the Moeys, the Nannies, the big, big gummy sharks, they're going really, really well too, which they 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 they're very consistent but this is my favorite time to fish offshore here in victoria but also up into new south wales as well the bottom fishing is red hot it's when things seriously start to feed well as you're going to get little a lot less bycatch as such when you're targeting the bottom because banjos and seven gills seven gills is a bit more of a winter thing but in summer they can be bad too swell sharks they're horrendous they're as bad as it gets so make sure you do uh, you do you do get bottom fishing wherever you are around the country, especially in South Australia. The North Haven's bread and butter fish, they're going really, really well too. Flathead, whiting, leather jacket, squid, and something that we all love to have is a bit of pasta with blue swimmer crab in it. That is one thing that we love to eat. So make sure if you're North Haven's, get amongst the, the, the bread and butter species because they're going, they're fishing as good as it gets. Queensland, Fishing out of Cooching, there's been heaps of uh, jacks being landed. So mangrove jacks, 
Bait and Lou is working. They're both working. Lou is a good fun. That bite on a mangrove jack, they reckon there's not much else that hits like it. So make sure... You, I've actually never caught one. Very interested in catching one. But make sure you do get amongst those if possible. Have your lures ready to go. Getting them in... You want, you want to get the lures usually... How do we explain it? So if you're land-based fishing, you're usually trying to get into the middle of something where when you're in a boat, you're always trying to cast to the ledge, vice versa. So make sure with the, if you're in a boat, try and get that cast right up and tight into the mangroves, any reef structure or anything like that in a harbour, and they're going to get they're going to come out and smash your lure. Queensland, uh, where we're fishing out of the ocean side of Tweed River. Uh, we're in Queensland. It's a report for Queensland, and seriously, the tailor are going really, really well. Now, they're moving in on the high tide. So as that water pushes up the beaches, the tailor are feeding at their best. Low tide has been a bit hit and a miss, so make sure you can try and time the high tide. And on sunset, they're in even bigger numbers. So slimy mackerel, if you can get them live, they're being really, really good as live baits. They're getting the bigger fish, but also you can use slimies for bait, fillets of them. They're going to get fish as well. Heading over to WA, Preston Beach, the herring have been going mad. So make like, literally get yourself a burly pot because if you don't have it, you're not going to catch anywhere near as many fish. Make sure you get your burly pot filled up with pillies, bit of tuna oil. Even bread works well with tuna oil and make sure you mix it up really nice and tight in there. Smash it, smash it right up and then give it a good shake in the water and loosen it up and it will all fall out and those... Uh, herring will come to your burly your burly pot, and that's at Preston Beach. There's been lots and lots of trevally species on offer out of Exmouth. Now, this was a conversation that I was meant to have with Mate Danger, but he's broken his microphone. So I think he's nearly fixed it, to be honest with you, but he's, I'm going to keep him out of it. Some big trevally being caught out of Exmouth, but something I was more impressed with was the brassy trevally. So they were caught on fly during the week, which... That got Pat's attention. He set, flicked the photo over, and that's a challenge I'm going to set him for when him and I head up north again is to catch a trevally species on a fly because they pull like mad. I think it nearly killed Pat's old man, John Boy, a few years ago. That tested him out when he caught a nice brassy. It was actually a brassy trevally as well that he managed to get. Tasmania, Coles Bay, Bluefin going seriously good in three to six metres of water, but Storm Bay going just as good but their surface activity has been as good as it gets so if you can get amongst them in tassie get on the tuna they're going good up to 25 30 kilo great lake browns and rainbows is where you want to be heading right now with the fish feeding most of the day plastics is always good for your rainbows now i've got time for one or two questions i'm going to get into them quick because i'm getting told to hurry up because pat's missing out on the conversation and we can't let him in on it We've got the social club right now, so where we take your questions from social media, make sure you send them through on the Real Adventures app or on any of our social media platforms, and we'll do our best to answer them. Graham, boys, what's the simplest knot to tie line to leader? I always end up using a swivel because I do not trust my knot. Does this matter? Now, uni knot is the easiest, by far the easiest. It's not a very good casting knot in the slightest. It's horrible with thicker line lighter line you get away with it a little bit but uni knot is the best knot to tie not the best the easiest knot to tie and i use it to catch tuna big gummy shark i've caught barrel bluefin on a uni knot so make sure if you do want to learn a knot a uni knot is the one to learn for convenience uh we're going to go just for the last question here for the last 
a little bit of the, uh, this segment of the social club. Liam, I love the show, boys. I've been seeing huge reports of Snapper again out of Port Phillip Bay. Any advice you can share with us to catch a few? Oh, mate, you just got to get out there. I've got no other answer other than get out there. We had some fantastic fishing. I pinched Pat 750 during the week and uh, filmed for Salt Guide, and we got so much content on big Port Phillip Bay Snapper. And the good thing with this time of the year, the fish are from 4 to 8 kilo. They're not from 2 to 6 kilo. They are big fish, and they are red hot. So get out in Port Phillip Bay, fishing deep out of Mount Martha, Mornington, silver whiting, pillies, squid, garfish. There's plenty of garfish around. Get yourself some fresh bait, and you're going to catch plenty of uh, Port Phillip Bay Snapper. Righto, it's time to get Pat back up and running. It's all working, so he tells me he's giving me the thumbs up. Brooks is giving me the old text message saying we're ready to go. He'll be back for Red's Tip, the Flying Gaff, and, of course, the next segment and plenty more to come on Real Adventures. We'll see you after the break. Gearing up for Dometic. Dometic Patrol, an icebox with a sense of adventure. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Our special guest this morning is Corey Green, who is the Senior Fisheries Scientist at Victorian Fisheries Authority. Good morning, Corey. G'day, Patrick and Aaron. How are you today? We are going really well, and we're looking forward to this chat this morning with you and talking around mako tagging and tagging in general and how you decide on what species to target and then we as general punters, how do we get that information and how do we learn from it? I can answer that for you. I've done a little bit of tagging with Corey Green. I think he picks the funnest fish to catch and then he goes, I need to go tag these fish. I think that's the way he goes about it because I tell you what, I've done kingfish with him. He's doing mako sharks now, which we're about to talk about. I think he's got the dream job, Patrick. I'm one of the luckiest people around having a job like I, I do. I was uh, even tagging Murray Cobb the other week, so I get all over the place. So let's go back to the start, Corey, for you. You've been involved in fishery science for 20 years. Take us, yeah, take it's us through... It's almost pushing up 30 now. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> take us through how you got into it and, and your job at fisheries yeah. now and, and what that involves. Yeah, well, I uh, I started loving my fishing. Um, I grew up in Geelong. I used to go down the Barham River myself and catch a few carp now and then and got into the fishing club scene. Didn't do very well at school. Wanted to just get in that fishing scene and I uh, applied to get into some universities and things like that. Um, eventually got in down to Tasmania where I did a degree down there and I felt pretty lucky to get a, just a, a, a technical job down at Queenscliff down the Marine Science Laboratories. It was known back then and sort of the rest is history. Sort of just doing all sorts of projects from looking at crabs or seahorses to fisheries assessments of rock lobster and abalone, you know, tagging is one component as well. And it's just so varied. And I think I'm you know, one of the luckiest people around to, to uh, have a job that, that takes me all over the place and researches all, all sorts of good stuff. And, you know, I love, also love my fishing as well. So it's just one of these lucky career options that, that have sort of fell into and sort of come my way. So it's been great. So you work with the Victorian Fisheries Authority. Now, most of when we hear and talk about science, we hear a huge amount about tagging. The process yep. behind that, how do you decide what you're going to tag? Is it is it decided by you know what the general public is interested in? Is it what you know, you look through the studies that you've done previously. and it, I told you, it's what Corey finds the funnest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a little bit more structured on that. And that, <laughs> I guess it comes down to the management side of it. What's, what's the management question? 
And, you know, when, when we talk about fisheries and, and what we can get in Victoria, our fish don't necessarily stop at the, the border of New South Wales or South Australia and say, oh, that's it, I'm not going any further. You know, some of those fisheries go, you know, all around southeastern Australia. So it's about, you know, what sort of connectivity our fisheries have from state to state. Do they, are they local? Do they stay like in Port Phillip Bay? Do they just in Victoria or do they move out of state? So that's one of the questions that we've got to try to answer is that do we manage some of our fisheries in Victoria and keep it in Victoria or does it need to be more holistic and encompass, you know, all of the states involved? And because, you know, you could have snapper that's going all the way up to Queensland and down to Victoria, you know, or, you know, or, or mako sharks, you know, which we're going to talk about later. Is, you know, do they just stay in Victoria or do they keep on going uh, elsewhere? So, so so on that, one of the, the, the big topics of, of debate over the last few years across the border in South Australia has been the commercial snapper fishery and... Yep the uh, impacts that commercial fishing and recreational fishing has had on the sustainability of snapper and and quite clearly at the moment where there is still a ban in place so have would you be working with um, you know fisheries in South Australia on, on their end what they're seeing the scientific data that they're collecting to you know collate all that information and make really good decisions around what's best for the fishery sustainability for oh. you know wreck anglers Absolutely, absolutely, we do. We, we work with you know all, all the states that are sort of surrounding us on, and it depends on those species that, that mix between the states. So you know, in the in the snapper fishery that you reference there, they that's you know, their fishery. You know, they, they've done their tagging and uh, stop discrimination work there, so they know that that's their fishery. So that, that their fishery doesn't really impact on our fishery. So that's why we've been able to keep and you know, manage our stocks the way that we do. Um, and there's you know there's plenty of plenty of fish looking out there, plenty of snapper, for example, example out there, which um, many people are catching at the moment. Now, Corey, let's stick a little bit relevant to what you're actually, <clears throat> excuse me, doing at the minute, and that's the uh, tagging satellite tagging of the mako sharks. Now, uh, you've been doing a fair bit with Chris Vasileski from Gone Fishing Charters, very good friend of our show on here, and you've been heading yep. out chasing the mako to get a tagging. Now, can you just take us through why the mako shark? Also, the size that you're looking at for the sharks, because I know that you had a big Bruce come up and say g'day, and you might have been too big to handle. <laughs> I, know, I know that story. Chris O filled me in. And then what, what, why you, what size shark you're looking for and why in particular the mako shark at, the point in, at this point in time? I guess with looking at fisheries uh, and, and you know, specific species, it's, it's trying to find out what the knowledge gaps are. So you identify what you know and what you don't know and whether the information that you don't know will be really relevant to um, putting the picture together, which is really good for the, the future management of them. So that's what we identified, is that well, we don't know about the movement of the shark, uh, of makos, or their habitat preference. You know, we don't know whether they need to be managed in Victoria or you know, all around southeastern Australia or beyond. Um, so that's why we put some satellite tags in. There's been genetic work done on it, um, but this satellite tagging is, is really giving us an idea of their, their movement patterns and temperature preferences. Sorry to interrupt you there, Corey, with the satellite yeah. tag, just before we go on to the sizes. What is a satellite tag? Yeah, so it's, a, it's something about half the size of the palm of your hand and it's got a battery in it and some electronics in it and an antenna. And essentially what we do is when we go and have a 
jumping a, a shark up through the burley trail. We put it in a cradle beside the boat and um, this tag attaches to the dorsal fin and then when, when we release it. So when the shark breaches the surface, that antenna then connects to the satellites <laughs> and gives us uh, pings a, a location of where that shark is every time it's at the surface. With some of the species that you've uh, you've targeted in the past, they're a little easier to tag, I dare say, than, than a mako. <laughs> they're notoriously aggressive and unpredictable. Does that bring its yeah. challenges when oh, it comes I'm, to... I'm glad he hasn't asked me to do this, to this tagging <laughs> program. I, I, like my, I really like my hands. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, as you know, the, these things have a real body end, a real sharp end. <laughs> I'm trying to keep away from that. There's been a yeah, it's been a few little close calls, and I'm just trying to you know, attach the tag. And a uh, shark just comes around and turns his head a little bit too close to the arm. So yeah, you sort of stop all, stop everything all at once, really, really quickly, and just get out of the way. So, but, no, all fingers are intact so far. So uh, I hope to I hope to keep that trend and and uh, yeah, maintain the safety of the hand. So you're looking at what size shark, say, to put one of these tags, and it's got to be big enough to hold the tag, but it can't be too big so you don't lose your arm and leg. Yeah, look, anything over about 30 kilos yeah, is, really, is really good. Yep. Yep, yep, but as I said, uh, we got we got one uh, a month or two back that was just a little bit too big, and to be quite, to be quite honest, I'm glad it, we didn't get beside the, the boat because it was just, yeah, it's, too hard to handle. I think Chris you know, was estimating around like, the 180 kilo mark. I think he estimated. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit too big. So I won't lie um, to you. It no. makes some very good fi- footage on the Victorian Fish- Fisheries Authority's page. Facebook page yes. of Corey Green trying to satellite tag a 180 kilo mako, <laughs> the shark wrangler, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> In a working sense, Corey, h- how often are you hitting the water? Obviously, uh, a lot of what you do is you know, the research that goes beyond just going out in the boat, how often are you actually hitting the water with your colleagues and, and, and chasing these fish and, and looking at different, you know, parts of the, um, you know, the fishing arena that is Victoria? Yeah, look, I guess research comes in different forms and it depends on the project that you're on. You know, well, my case, we've probably only hit about, you know, half a dozen times off the coast this year so far, but we did it about the same amount of times last year, so... Having said that, you know, I was up to, as I said, up to up to Ilden the other week, other week, um, tagging cod for a, a couple of weeks out in the field. So, look, predominantly a lot of the work that we do is um, at the desk, um, crunching numbers, looking at data, looking at trends, and you know, writing reports and making recommendations. So, um, you know, people may think that I've got the, um, I'm out there you know, counting fish or playing with sharks or things all the time, but there's a, a, a fair bit more to it than, than that in the office. Corey, thank you so much for your time this morning and, and talking uh, through Mako tagging and, and what the, the Vic Fisheries Authority does. Uh, it's wonderful to have that sort of support for rec fishers right around the state um, and you contribute enormously to the enjoyment that we have out on the water. Corey Green, our special guest on Real Adventures this morning. No worries. Thanks, and I'll see you on the water. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. That was brilliant. Corey Green, our special guest this morning on gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Red's Review for Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. It's now time for Red's Review for Club Marine, our product review of the week. And you're going to say, go quick, aren't you? I haven't got a lot of time, do no, I? No, 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 you, you're okay. You're well, okay. Well, good, because I've got a question for you. Yes. This is the review today. Mm-hmm. 
I know you love your toys and you love more of a pain on the backside fishing with you after the fishing day because you, the amount you clean up. I mean, anything anything that starts with cleaning up is more than what I do anyway, Patrick. Well, I'm worried because <laughs> because you took my boat no, out during, looked, during the week. You're I, doing some uh, some filming I with Craig for Salt Guide and you said, I will, I will leave it <laughs> as if I got it. But the problem is the last time it was taken out, you took it out. I didn't lie. <laughs> <laughs> no, the boys are the boys. I won't say I've been cleaning it. The boys have been terrific. Help me out cleaning your boat, Patrick. It's a it's a beautiful boat. And it's going to stay that way. But one question I've got to, for something to stay that way. Yes. What are your thoughts on engine covers? Well, so I'm not talking like engine cover at home at the more, at this point. I'm talking about one that stays on there all the time, out when you're fishing and whatnot. Well, oh, I understand it, but what doesn't make sense to me is if you have an engine cover, it just covers the cowling. So it makes sense to have an en- engine cover at home. Mm-hmm. But if you just have one that covers the cowling, like there's a cowling, so what's the all point? But I, but I at the same time, I do understand it. Well, I've got big scratches in my back of my engine. So do I. <laughs> no, no, not in the engine. Yours is all right. <laughs> no, no, touch in my small stavy. Oh, on your stavy all the time. Yeah, well, I've got scratches. I've got marks from yep. sinkers. I've got bill marks. I've got gaff marks. I yep. tried to drag a tuner around the back to the dive ladder one time. The gaff <sighs> ended up in my engine. Yep. So if you buy my engine, don't buy it. Yeah, I um, don't think they're. I don't think they're a waste of money. You don't? No, I don't. Well, good news is they're not expensive. <laughs> Seventy to two hundred dollars, depending on what you want to get. And this is I'm yep. talking about actual engine cut, like well, well um, fitted, genuine yep. engine covers that are well fitted to Suzuki Mercury. Um, whatever engine Yamaha, you want, Yamaha, yeah. whatever one you want to buy, uh, seventy to two hundred bucks, depending on what you want to use. But well fitted is, I think, what you need to. Yeah. But and also on the water, waterproof side, I've I've never had one. I've never cleaned with. You never had to clean under one. Now, surely when you go, your engine's always wet, no matter what day you go fishing. Do you reckon the salt would sit under the engine cover? Do you reckon you need to take it off at the end of the day and hose it all out? Uh, I would have one before, and I don't fish as hard as what you do, but I, it, it was almost like a silicon yeah, seal around at the, the side bottom of it, yeah. and it, which tightened up once you put it on, yeah, and, and didn't really have the need to do that. Because my engine, like the engine itself, I haven't had to touch wood, I haven't had a drama with it, but it definitely, it's definitely got some marks on it. I'm just thinking to say <laughs> it needs a buffing. It needs a good buffing, <laughs> but it, um, no, but uh, seriously, with seventy to two hundred bucks, you can get yourself a good engine cover, and it's going to protect it from all that sort of. I guess gunk bait sticking to it, marking it, and it's going to make it look brand new when you're going to sell it. That's pretty much the only positive that I see in it. And with the uh, the rates at the moment, with the resale of boats, it's probably going up a thousand dollars a day every time. <laughs> it might make that extra three hundred dollars that it's sparkling still. It might make it easier to actually pitch the idea to your better half that um, it's a worthwhile investment. That is seventy to two hundred bucks. Red tip for Club Marine. Plenty more real adventures after the break. That was Red's review for Club Marine. Insure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Check the PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Before we get into Red's tip, have you got anything on the... What's on sort of marked out for your weekend? Is there anything that you're specifically chasing? Mate, I'm on standby. I'm literally on standby for a flood because there's a good chance that Kari's water breaks any day of the week. Yes, forget about that. <laughs> I'm not joking you, literally. So we're literally waiting. So Kari's about to pop with our little girl. Uh, fingers crossed everything goes fantastic. Uh, she's done a great job for 
40 weeks of it, Patrick. So any day we're on standby. So I can't venture too far. She doesn't want me too far away. We've got some great help around us if worst case comes in. But I'm trying to get a fair bit of fishing done because I think I'll be off the water for a bit. So I'm trying to get it done before the lead up to this. So I'm trying to get some work stuff done. You know, some advice that I got going from one kid to two kids. Remember, like it was yesterday, I was chatting to, to Luke Hodge about it. And he's like, imagine you're swimming. This is going to be good, Luke Hodge. And then imagine you're drowning. And imagine someone then throws you a child. You're trying to swim whilst drowning and someone's throwing well, you having a, two a children. Baby. <laughs> having two kids. He goes, it's horrific. But I, did, I haven't found it um, so you're still as trying challenging. To, so you're still trying to say, I've got time to run away. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're done. Uh, Red's tip, weighted... Billy Cages yeah. versus the uh, the my father style of I've lost it because we took off whilst the Billy Cage was <laughs> oh, still underwater. Don't say just your father. I'm going everyone's. <laughs> don't <laughs> yes. put it on John Boy. Everyone's done that at least sixty five times. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's something that just it blows don't my mind. Don't use sinkers is what you're going to say. Don't, I know that's what you're going to say. Isn't don't it? use sinkers. Like the amount of people. Are we getting into this a little bit? The amount of people. Do you know how expensive sinkers are at the moment? They are, and that's why the my tip is buy a dive. <laughs> sinkers are nearly, you know, it's it's worse than fuel. <laughs> <laughs> sinkers are a great way to weigh your, weight your burly cage down. But I just want to say the amount of people I'm still seeing not weighting their burly cage down in tidal waters is. The amount I've given it to people, like, I'm sure they're obviously not listening at all or they don't even know I exist. So and it's the one me- or the other. And the reason you mention this is because if you're fishing in 10 metres of water and there's a lot of water movement, those fish aren't even... They couldn't care about your burly cage. They're the barely surface. getting any of it, are they? <laughs> they're getting nothing. So you yep. want your burly... Like, whiting, flattered and the likes. Like, garfish, you want your burly cage at the top. You don't need a weighted burly cage. But for the, the whiting on the bottom, you yep. do. And a lot of people chase whiting. So, little tip. Go to a dive shop. If not a fishing shop, buy a dive weight. 1.5 kilo they usually come in. Buy two of them. So you've got a spare. One and a half kilo will pretty much get you through nearly all tidal waters. The odd with a late, with a weighted burly cage. The odd uh, time you might need a little bit more, chuck another weighted one in. My tip here also not to do, don't put 400 sinkers in it because if you put 400 sinkers in it and you lose your burly cage, there's four grand. <laughs> so, so don't put, don't fill your cages with sinkers because the amount of time, like if a shark eats it or rips it open or the lid comes off, like I've done this too many times. Craig, I do my order through Craig for sinkers and he goes, what, you need more 16s? You haven't even been using them. What have you been chasing with them? I'll, I'll chase them wide and have your burly cage weighted down. So anyway, that there is what you want to do for your burly cage. Grab yourself a weighted weighted uh, dive weight for your weighted lead cage. Add extra weight, it'll work. It's now time for the flying gaff, Patrick. And can yeah. I? Am I you've can you've I, got. Can it, I but, steal it? But you've got thirty seconds. <sighs> I'm taking ten seconds of that to breathe. People that park in trailer spots at the boat ramp, stop doing it. You're doing my head in. You are literally doing my head in. On Sunday, two weeks ago, I went to take Finn out fishing. Yep. When the old man, there was a gentleman in front of me. He had his partner, his wife, and his two kids, young kids. He wanted to go fishing. He had to wait 30 minutes for a boat to come in. It was a beautiful day. No one was coming in. He had to wait. There was no parks left at Queenscliff. But what there was was people that got there early. I think we counted, I, can't, I think he said it was 14 cars, single cars parked in trailer boat car parks. They could have parked up near the railway away from the, away from the boat ramp in itself. 
for and uh, even I would have made the distance walking, Patrick. Like it, that's <laughs> it's not far because the trailers don't fit in the parks up up the road. They don't fit. If you're one of those people that park at the boat ramp to convenient yourself, go away because this young gentleman with his two young kids wanted to go fishing. The kids are egging. You hear him? Come on, Dad! Come on! And he's sitting there in his car waiting for a boat to come in to seal a park. Otherwise, you are going to see some gaff marks. You might see some gaff marks down the side. What you, I think but, you even said a keen is acceptable in this situation. No, we would never condone violence on this show. That being he said, say that. we need to wrap it up. <laughs> Thanks for your company this morning. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you for Real Adventures next week. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.